Welcome to the Cross Point Church Sermons. This sermon was preached by Pastor Scott Kappelman during a Sunday worship service. We hope you enjoy and share the message. People can get together, and uh, some of us are very talented, like the people that we have leading us in worship from week to week. Some of us are just making a joyful noise. Some of us are just making noise, and that's okay, too. Uh, but I want to encourage you to sing every Sunday and uh, use this time to sing God's praises and to celebrate what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. That is so important for a congregation to do. And we're living in an era of time where in a lot of churches, as you know, um, it's more about the people on the stage entertaining the people who are sitting in the audience. And that's not worship. It is God's people together collectively using their voices, and I'm beginning to hear more and more singing, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that from week to week. This morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of Jude. It's the very next to the last book of the Bible. If you go to the book of Revelation and go back just a few pages, you're going to find that little book of Jude. And as I have shared each of the three weeks now, this is our third week to study in the book of Jude. Um, This is my first time to ever preach through the book of Jude. And uh, in some ways, there's going to be a little bit of repetition from last week to this week to get us through this section, and then we'll kind of turn in a different direction next week as we finish up this little book. It really does not have chapters, it just has verses, and uh, so that's what we're doing is walking through this. We'll be in verses 12 to 19 today, and we'll get to those in just a few minutes. Now, to understand, if you weren't with us last week, to really understand the verses that we're going to look at today... It's going to be important for us to put three pieces of the puzzle together in the same way that we did last week. There are three key pieces of the puzzle that you have to have. The first one is you have to know that Jude is going to write in triads. He's going to write in triads. And what that means is he's going to often stack things together, one, two, three. This is his pattern all the way through the book. He's going to go one, two, three, say the same thing over and over and over again. For example, I know that some of you were at the game last night. Who stayed to the bitter end? Who stayed to the very end? Okay. These people may fall asleep uh, this morning. The rest of you are very intelligent. You either did not go to the game or you uh, went home halfway through the game. But the really intelligent people probably didn't stay to the end of the game. But we could say three things about the game last night in a triad. It was messy, It was ugly, and we wished if we were there at the end, we would have stayed home, okay? Those are the three triads. That's the way Jude would have stated it if he were living in 2022 after last night's game. Obviously, the only good outcome was Mississippi State eventually won the game. It seemed like it was midnight, but they finally won the game. I was sitting in my recliner, turned the TV off, and got in my bed, so I'm feeling good today, and I can preach for an hour, even though you can't listen that long. Nonetheless, Jude uses triads. The second thing is you need to understand the connection from the Old Testament to the New. We often forget that the New Testament writers that we find in the New Testament, these books and letters that we find in the New Testament, They were not written at the time when they were putting this together. They had to rely on their knowledge of the Old Testament. And so they had been taught the Old Testament in the Jewish synagogues or when they went to the temple complex, 
But that was really their basis of information to talk about what was happening now that Jesus had come, died on the cross, been buried, resurrected, ascended back to the Father, and had left his disciples with the task of introducing the gospel to the world. They just had to rely on the Old Testament exclusively to the most, for the most part, to get their concepts that they wanted to communicate. So Jude's going to do that. He's going to use the Old Testament a whole lot. And then the third piece of the puzzle is he's going to talk a lot about God's judgment. And we talked a little bit about that last week, but God's judgment is a prominent theme in this book. And so I want you to understand that as we dive in. He's going to talk in triads. He's going to use the Old Testament, and he's going to talk about God's judgment. Well, why is God's judgment front and center in this little book called Jude? The reason is Jude was concerned that God's church that had been established after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that as new little groups of believers came together and formed churches, that over time, because the apostles, remember there are only 12 apostles, uh, Judas committed suicide, and most would su- suggest that Paul actually becomes the 12th apostle. I know they picked Matthias, but it really looks like Paul becomes the 12th one to make the group complete. There are only 12 of them. And when you've got multitudes of little churches springing up, you can't have an apostle in every church that says, this is what Jesus taught us, or this is what Jesus meant. If you could have had an apostle in your church as the leader, that would make sense. Any questions that came up about how to walk with Jesus or live for Jesus, an apostle could have given clarification by saying, when Jesus was here and we were walking with him, he said this, but there were only 12 of them. And so as more and more little congregations began to spring up, it opened the door for false teachers to come in and take leadership positions, and those false teachers were misleading the people of God who were trying to walk and live for Jesus. And so Jude's really burdened about this. He is overcome with a burden that the false teachers are winning the day in the local church, and he's writing this letter to say to those believers, Hey, open your eyes, listen to what's being taught, and identify the false teachers, because if you don't, they're going to mess your church up, and they're going to get you off of the track of following Jesus. So what we're going to do today in verses 12 through 19 is Jude is once again going to identify false teachers. That's where we're going to start, is just look at a description of the false teachers And he's going to use the triads, one, two, three, as I mentioned a moment ago. But really, in the section we're going to look at today, it's almost like a stack of pancakes. He's going to call out the false teachers any which way possible. He's just going to lay it on layer upon layer and point out to us in so many ways what the false teachers look like. Now, I was was bothered greatly this week. I found out from a church member that I was having a conversation with that there is a person in our church who does not like pancakes. And I was shocked. I was like, is this blasphemy? And the reason is this person doesn't like the syrup on the pancakes. And I was like, like I was double then because I was like, you got to be kidding me. You don't like pancakes because you don't like the syrup. In my house growing up, we ate Cairo white syrup. Now, I know some of you like the little thin brown syrup, but if you really want a great experience with pancakes, get you a bottle of Cairo white syrup and cover those pancakes as much as you can and just sop it up as it comes up to your mouth. I was, we were eating pancakes not long ago. My wife said, how much syrup can you eat? 
And I said, I love syrup. And this is the way you eat it. When you grow up in a Kappelman house, you just like run your piece through the syrup and you bring it to your mouth. Well, we had, we have somebody in our church that needs to be prayed for, fasted over. They don't like pancakes, so they don't like the syrup. And this is just astounding to me. But nonetheless, we're going to see like a stack of pancakes today. And Jude's going to say, let me show you all the ways that these false teachers are deceiving you. And you can't let this go on because it's going to ruin your church. And it's going to get you offbeat walking with Jesus. So let me, let me show you these things as we go to Jude. Let's start in verse 12. And here's what he begins to say. These people, the reference to these people are, it's a reference to the false teachers. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast. I want to focus on dangerous reefs. I'm going to come back and explain kind of my interpretation of what he's trying to say for each one of these, but I want you to see them as we go through. These are dangerous reefs at your love feast, and they eat with you without reverence. Then the second one, they are shepherds who only look after themselves. Then the third one, they are waterless clouds carried along by the wind. Do you see three things right there together? Three descriptions, dangerous reefs, shepherds, and waterless clouds. Well, what does he mean by that? What is he saying as he stacks up the pancakes three by three? I think he's saying these dangerous reefs are irreverent. When you come together as God's people and you celebrate the Lord's Supper, they don't even believe in the Jesus that you have been taught about. And so when they participate with you or lead the Lord's Supper and they don't know Jesus, that's an irreverent moment because they're leading people into something that's not something they even believe in. So they're irreverent. Then the second thing, they're selfish shepherds. In the Old Testament, there were a couple of prophets who often had the analogy that the priests were supposed to be leading God's people as shepherds. Now, this concept of shepherds and sheep was so common in the Old Testament and the New because they were nomadic people who lived off the land. And so it was very common for them to see shepherds and sheep. And if you had a bad shepherd who didn't lead the sheep correctly, that flock was in danger. And what does he say about these shepherds, these false teachers? They're really interested only in themselves, what they can get out of it. Go back and read what it says. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They're, they're selfish. Them waterless clouds, they're misleading. When, you, when you're in the dead of the summer and you've got a garden and you need some rain desperately and you see in the distance gathering a group of clouds your hope begins to rise that maybe those clouds are going to pass over your garden and they're going to drop the rain that you need. But if that group of clouds passes over and there's no water that is allowed to drop out of them and the clouds go to the other side and move on and you did not get the rain, you've been misled. You read the clouds, you thought the rain was coming, but it didn't give you the refreshment that you were looking for. So these false teachers were misleading. They were like waterless clouds. Then he goes on, if we go back to the same verse, verse 12, after the first three, he says, they're also like trees, that's the next one, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. So he talks about trees. Then verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds. And then the third one is, they are wandering stars, 
for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. So the next triad, remember he's putting out things in threes, but in this case he's like just stacking the pancakes. So the next three are, they are like autumn trees, they are like the wild waves of the sea, and they are also like wandering stars. Well, what does that mean? Let me, let me just give you my interpretation of what he's saying about the false teachers. I think he's saying that the autumn trees are barren, they're fruitless. It's time for the harvest to come in. There is no fruit to be found. They're doing all this teaching, but the kingdom of God and the gospel is not advancing. And so they are fruitless trees that should be producing spiritual fruit, and they're not. They're autumn trees that are fruitless. In addition, they are wild waves. That means they're immoral. We've talked about this several times at Cross Point in the last few months. Anytime there's a reference to the seas in the Scripture, it often points us toward the nature of sin and chaos. And in this case, it reminds us that these false teachers are immoral. Now, last week in our passage, when we were talking about the false teachers, we alluded to, and even in the first week, we alluded to the fact that these false teachers had somewhat subdivided life into a spiritual part where you follow Jesus, but then you still got your fleshly part. This is only spiritual, so if you've trusted Jesus on the spiritual side, then in your flesh, you can do whatever you want. You can live in sexual immorality. Well, this is, again, another highlighting and reference to the fact that the false teachers were into sexual immorality. They were like wild waves of the sea. That reminds us of sin. In addition, they are wandering stars. They're wandering stars. Now, all of us in this room have a GPS system on our phones, and we use it religiously. Not me personally. I like directions, and I like geography, so I understand. But last week, uh, for the fall festival day, we had the children's trunk or treat, and then the youth and the college students together had a supper where they had baked potatoes and chili and a little bit of chicken. And then the two groups broke into two parts, and the youth did an activity and the college students did an activity. Now, I'm going to go ahead and confess, our college students played a game called Hostage. When they asked me about this, I said, if you get caught playing Hostage, do not ever mention Crosspoint in anything that you do in giving answers to the police. But the gist is you had teams of five, you had a driver, and you had a, a connector or a contact, and then the other three members of your team, they were taken hostage by another team, and they were given 12 minutes to go somewhere in the city and drop off the three hostages in a discreet location. And then those three people who had been dropped off had to figure out how to get back together with their driver and their contact and get back to the church office first. So we had multiple teams out there. So we got multiple hostages. This is, I know y'all are thinking, how did you let this happen? I, I'm, just, I'm just confessing. But one of the rules of the game for everybody who played is you must turn off your GPS on your phone. Why? Because if you've got a GPS and somebody drops you off, you just turn your GPS on. You're like, oh, I'm on this street. I'm at this place. And you call the contact who gets the driver and the driver comes and picks you up. So one of the rules of the game was you've got to cut off your GPS. College students know nothing about directions. <laughs> like they rely on GPS heavily. So this concept of cutting off the GPS was a little bit problematic. 
Now, they ended up having a great time. I think they played four rounds. Again, it was kind of like the football game for me last week. Once they got started, I went home. I just said, y'all are at it. Don't call me. Don't mention Crosspoint if something happens and you get caught. And so they played until about 930 and had a great time. But we're so connected to our phones and our GPS, we don't understand the concept that he's mentioning here. But he says they're wandering stars Wandering stars, in that time period, you had to use the stars for navigational purposes. So that's one way to look at it. But it's also possible, with the way the Greek is written, that it's not just navigational purposes. It also could mean it's like a meteor that shoots across the sky, in the black sky, and it's here one minute, you see it, and then it's gone. And that may be the more logical way that he's actually referring to the false teachers. They're not grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not grounded in the love of God that started when creation was first spoken into existence. They are just like meteors that shoot across the sky and you see them one minute and you think, oh, that's so neat. And then they're gone and you don't have any direction because they've disappeared. And so my, my whole point in this is they were, they were useless. They're useless. You can't look at them for navigational purposes, or they just kind of fly by and then they're gone, and they're just useless. And so again, he's giving us a triad. Then if you'll come down to the next verse that I want to go to, that's verse 16. Verse 16. We're going to skip a few verses, go to verse 16. <laughs> And it says again, these people, false teachers, we're still in the description of the false teachers, these people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. So there are three things he says right there. They're grumblers, they live by their desires, and they have speech that is only used in one way. So let me tell you what those three things are. Grumblers, that means they're discontented people. Oh, they claim to be leaders, but in reality, they're discontented. They want you to be discontented. And so they're stirring up the church all the time because they're false teachers and they're not living out of the peace of Christ. They're just discontented. Or they're living by their desires. They're undisciplined. That's why they're in sexual immorality is they're living by their desires. And then their speech means they are manipulators. Go back to what it says about them, flattering people for their own advantage. Do you, do you have some friends? Don't call their name out, please. We don't need to know the name right here in the service. But do you have some friends who are very good at flattering people? And you know every time they speak to you and they just boast about everything that they say about you, it's all false, it's all fake, it's not real. They're usually saying those things because they want something from you. Or they want to make you think they are something they're not. And so they're good at flattering people. These were the false teachers. And then the final group of three is in verse 19. If you go from verse 16 to verse 19, these people create divisions and are worldly not having the Spirit. So the final triad, again, it's like a stack of pancakes today because we're now going into 10, 11, and 12 as far as the descriptions that he gives us. They are divisive, they're worldly, and they do not have, they're unbelievers. They don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, this is why I would say to you, false teachers are not believers who've been misled. They are not even believers because they don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a believer. 
That's one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is not only have we discovered how He has saved us and paid the ultimate price for us by dying on the cross, but when we surrender our life to Him, Logan mentioned this a minute ago, when he surrendered his life to Jesus as he got a little bit older, he realized he had not really done that. At that moment when he surrendered, the Spirit of God came to dwell in him. Well, these people don't have the Spirit. That means they're not believers. They're unbelievers. And they are leading the church. All of this... All of these 12 things, that's why I say it's a stack of pancakes. All these 12 descriptions help us to understand how misled these people were. That's why they needed the letter from Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. So let's move now from the false teachers to God's judgment. God's judgment. Let's go back now and pick up some verses we skipped. Would you go back to verse 14 and 15? 14 and 15, it was about these, again, the word these is a reference to the false teachers. It was about the false teachers that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against Him. Did you notice how many times the word ungodly was used? Multiple. Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. That is Jude's assessment ultimately of the false teachers is they are ungodly. But then what he says is really interesting, verses 14 and 15. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I talked about The Bible was not put together until the 300s A.D. There was a council called and some leaders from all over the world were brought together and they decided on... There were were more than 66 books that could have been chosen for our Bible. That's one of the things we rarely talk about. We think that the 66 that we find in the Bible, the 39 in the Old Testament and the 27 in the New, are the only 66 ever written about the things of God. They were not. There were a multitude of other books that were considered when the council met in the 300s A.D., and they had to come up with some criteria to determine which of the many should be included in the final canon that became the 66. And so we often think, like, there are only 66. No, there were lots of them that were out there. And so some of the criteria, did did it have an author that was legitimately known, Or maybe did it have someone write it that was connected to somebody who was legitimately known? And does it line up? These were three of the big ones. Does it all line up with everything else that's written in the Scripture? And so those were three of the big criteria. A known person or somebody associated with a known person. Or perhaps does it match up with everything else that we're finding in what we consider to be the Scripture? And so those were the big three, and they debated that, and then they decided on it. Then the 66 came together. But just know there were a lot of other books out there. One of those was the book of Enoch the book of Enoch. Jude is one of the few New Testament books that quotes one that's not in the 66. In fact, when the group got together in in the 300s to have the council to decide on the 66, one of the debates over Jude's letter is he quotes something that we're not going to probably put in the other 66. And so that was one of the debates about Jude. He quotes another source, the book of Enoch, that we're not going to include because there were some things in the book of Enoch that didn't match up. But he quotes him in verses that we just read, the two verses that we just read. 
And what does Enoch say in the Gospel of Enoch or the book of Enoch? He said, look, God's going to send... He's going to send the angels, and they are going to judge with him the ungodly, the ungodly, the ungodly. Again, he's using a triad. In the end, God will judge ungodliness. In the end, God will judge the false teachers. Don't think they're going to get away. In the end, God's judgment will handle it. And I think that's what he's trying to say to us in these couple of verses that we just read. If you go back with me, I want to go back to verse 14 and 15. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute, there it is in verse 15, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way, and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. There's a lot of ungodliness there, and God's going to judge it. And if you go back, what, what kind of judgment is it going to be? The end of verse 13 says, it is going to be the judgment of the blackness of darkness that is reserved forever. It's going to be an eternal dark judgment. All of these things help us know God's going to take care of this. And then the final thing I want to show you this morning before I get to application is this, Jude's reminder. Jude's reminder. Would you go now to verse 17 and 18? But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles. Remember, there were 12 of those. They couldn't be in every church. That's why I wanted to start with that. They could not be in every church, and this opened the door for false teachers to come in. But he's going to take them back to the apostles, the 12 who had walked with Jesus or knew Jesus in a very intimate way. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers living among uh, according to their own godly des ungodly desires. So Jude says, don't you remember? The apostles, they can't be in all the churches, but they've already told us this. Jesus reminded them in the end times, there will be scoffers of every kind leading people to go into ungodliness. They went out and told us this. You ought to remember that. This should not surprise you. This is how it works. God's gospel is going forth. Satan is trying to oppose it. And when he can't stop it, he tries to infiltrate the church with false teachers. And Jesus and the apostles told us this. So this shouldn't surprise you. Now, that's the context of those verses. Let me get to the application, because that's where, you know, like we get it, we understand it, but like how does this apply to us in 2022? That's where I always want to go, because I want to understand the Scripture, but then I want to bridge the gap to where we live. And I've just got three things I want to give to you today as an application. Number one is this. God expects us to protect His church from false teachers. He expects us to protect His church from false teachers. If you're a member of Crosspoint, you've heard me say this. If you're a visitor today and you're involved in a church, I want to say this to encourage you. As a member, you should go home every week and make sure that the preacher is preaching the truth from God's Word. You have every right to go home every Sunday when I finish and make sure that I've told you the truth according to the gospel. 
That's why you can't live a secondhand faith just based off what I say on Sundays. That's what a lot of people do in churches is what did the preacher say? Okay, well, then that's what I'm going to do. He might get it wrong. He might be a false teacher. If he is, he's gonna, you're living off secondhand faith of his and you're going to be misled. So God expects all of you to be involved in the daily study of His Word to make sure I'm telling you the truth, that it lines up with the gospel. And if it doesn't, then you need to come confront me or go to our elders and say, look, He needs to be confronted. He's, he's teaching something that's antithetical to the gospel. Because God expects us to protect His church from false teaching. Number two, God holds those who teach in His church to a more significant standard of accountability. Now, I want to take you because I, I find in our modern world, it's kind of become popular for just any old Joe, and in some cases Jane, uh, to, to preach and teach. And people just kind of assume, I can just jump up there and say anything I want. I can, I can do what Scott does on week, every week. You probably could. You could probably do it better. You're probably a better communicator than I am. But just understand, when you stand before a group like this of believers and unbelievers, there's a stricter judgment coming. There's a higher level of accountability. And if you're willing to perceive that and receive it and know it, that's fine. But just understand, would you go with me to James? Remember, Jude is one of the half-brothers of Jesus. But James is one of the other half-brothers of Jesus. He's the one that we probably read the most because he's so practical. I love the book of James, but in chapter 3, verse 1, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. And so we need to understand that God holds those who teach in His church to a higher level of accountability. And so every week when I go home, I'm thinking, did I do it right? Did I preach it accurately? When I stand before God, what's He going to say? And if you ever stand before a group, like Logan shared his testimony, well, he's, he stood before us today. For that particular moment, He's going to be held accountable because there are, what, 200 people here this morning. So He's not just misleading Himself. If He tells the wrong gospel, He's going to mislead 200. That's a higher level of accountability. Third and finally, God has given one, capital letters, O-N-E, one gospel for salvation, which is rooted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you ever hear anybody preaching anything other than the true gospel, it's a false teacher. And it's time to get that person away from leading the church. There's one gospel. Let's finish for that one gospel. Romans 10... Romans 10, verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9. It's all about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And if we're proclaiming that correctly, and the Spirit is at work, because the Spirit's the only one that can draw somebody to salvation, but it says, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Well, if you backtrack one verse to verse 9, if you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Like this morning, if there's a single individual in the building and who's never trusted Jesus, again, I say this like every week and it's on purpose, 
right now, currently, you are separated from your heavenly Father. He created you, but you're not His child. You're not adopted into the family. You stand under His wrath, His judgment. You're living an ungodly life. And what did He say? And Jude, God's going to judge the ungodly. He will. You stand in that judgment. But because of what God did for us, He loved us in advance when we were His enemies and unworthy. He loved us so much that He gave Jesus to die, be buried, and resurrected. And if we'll put our faith in Him, trust that Jesus is the Lord, and confess Him with our mouth and believe in our heart, we can be saved. Today could be your day of salvation. Today could be the day of your life transformation in this moment before we finish this service. Because there's only one gospel. And that's what we want to proclaim every single week at Crosspoint is the one gospel, not the false gospels, multiple, the one gospel of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. And so if you'd like to make that decision in just a moment, I'll invite you to come during the invitation so I can talk to you about that. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. And uh, as they're making their way back to the stage to get ready to lead us, they're going to lead us in a new song. Um, that we haven't sung at Crosspoint. It's been out a couple of years. It's called Gratitude. And I guess as we move into this um, month of November and begin to think about Thanksgiving, um, we're going to sing about gratitude. And that gratitude flows out of the love of God that was shown to us in Jesus Christ. So you may not know the words the first time through, but let that be a time for you to reflect and let the Spirit speak to you. And if you need to make a decision today, we hope you'll make it. But I think by the second time we go through the course, you'll catch it. And as I've said before, just sing along and let's worship the Lord and be grateful for all that He's done for us. Let me pray. Father, this is Your invitation. Speak. Let Your Spirit convict. And may that be followed by our obedience. And may the decisions that will be made today cause rejoicing in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?